In a world where good news is hard to find, WAVA and One Heart DC present Good News for the City. We're here to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what his body, the church, is doing to spread this good news in the Washington, D.C. metro area, including Northern Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. As Jesus said in John 17, Father, that they may be one just as we are one. Welcome to Good News for the City. It's the gospel, the gospel that makes a way. Greetings, folks, and welcome to Good News for the City, the radio broadcast ministry partnership between WAVA Radio and One Heart DC, right here on Life-Changing Talk Radio 105.1 FM, WAVA. My name is Dennis Williams. I'm Director of Ministry for WAVA Radio, and I want to welcome you to today's broadcast. Well, you know what, folks? For far too long, racial tensions have divided our communities and really destroyed lives. Though we want to pursue healing and reconciliation, Navigating these conversations can often feel like navigating a minefield. We can often confuse racial reconciliation with multi-ethnicity or diversity. As Christians, we know that Jesus is the only one who can bring about perfect healing. He reconciled us to the Father through his death on the cross. And so we look to him when we can't find our way, when we can't find how to fix things that seem beyond repair. Our guest today is here to share her insights into bridging cultural divides that grew out of her work right here in D.C. She will tell us how her life experiences led her on a journey of educating herself and others about the dynamics of race, ethnicity, culture, and God's reconciliation. And of course, you know the drill here to get us going, to get us started, to introduce our guest for the day is my good friend, my co-host of Good News for the City, Pastor Brian Bale, Senior Pastor of Christian Fellowship Church in Ashburn, Virginia. Hey, buddy. Good to see you, man. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I love the name of the show. Uh, we had a part in naming it, so it does seem a little bit biased for me to say I love the name of the show. The good news for the city. But I, I also love the tagline. It's the gospel that makes a way. It is really the gospel, the good news of what Jesus Christ did through his death, burial, and resurrection that makes reconciliation possible. And as people who've listened to the show, you know, this is a theme that we speak to over and over again, unity in Christ because of who Jesus is and what he's done through the gospel, we can have reconciliation and the struggle for reconciliation, while it's something uh, that we talk about a lot today, isn't something that's new. In fact, it was right there in the New Testament when we talk about the challenges between the different cultures and different racial backgrounds, just between Jew and Gentile, as they became now brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ and, and all the different things that come there. And so again, we find ourselves today talking about an important subject that we say upfront that no amount of personal effort and work that we do can accomplish anything without the help of Jesus Christ. But In the same way, we recognize that as the power of the gospel is real and the power of the gospel matters, he also calls us to do some things. And as we do that, many times that's uncomfortable. Many times we step into places that are challenging and difficult. And that certainly our guest today has done that and is going to talk to us about some opportunities that we can have to do the same. And so in studio, we have Julia, Julia Vanderwerf. Uh, She's committed to the lifelong journey of educating herself, but also others about the dynamics of race, of ethnicity and culture. And then, of course, God's reconciling work that can only be accomplished by the power of Jesus Christ. 
She's a graduate of Penn State University. Now, Dennis, we're not going to hold that against her, being that we're Ohio Man, State I saw, Man, I saw that, brother. Uh, I mean, I'm I just know. saying. You know. I know. You know, a God loves a Nittany O-H, Lions, too. O-H, man. You this, know. this is our version of a little bit of Big Ten <laughs> reconciliation going on. Uh, but she has a degree in elementary education. Uh, she taught fourth and fifth grade for five years in Prince George's County, Maryland. And our listeners here know that that is very close uh, to uh, the district itself. In 2001, yes, though, yes. she found it. She founded Daybreak. It's a nonprofit ministry in one of the largest public housing communities in the Washington, D.C. area. She worked alongside resident leaders to provide a community safe house for students to come after school and on weekends where they receive tutoring, mentoring, Bible study, and many other things. And she has been and is committed to building bridges in a variety of community contexts, including schools, churches, organizations, and her own neighborhood. And she uses the gifts that God has given her of teaching, leadership, hospitality, administration to both organize and facilitate educational opportunities, book clubs, and what is called a Be the Bridge Whiteness Initiative. Currently, Julie and her family don't live in the Washington metro area anymore. She's members of, they're members of the Epiphany Covenant Church. It is a multi-ethnic, multiplying, Christ-centered movement in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where she serves there on the church staff. But... Oh, it's agreed. cold up there where she's at, buddy. Yeah, she, <laughs> she has agreed uh, to come in and talk to us, certainly, because the show is about experiences here in this area and what God, you certainly have a lot. So thanks for being here and being on the show today. Amen. So let's start. You didn't grow up here, right? but most people didn't grow up here in the D.C. metro area. But a big part of your story uh, is here. Uh, tell us about your experience and what you learned and what you saw uh, in your time um, teaching Prince George's County, certainly as its connections to the Washington metro area and some of the difficulties and tensions that you might have experienced there. Yeah, good morning. Uh, I moved to Washington, D.C. area um, in 1999 as a, you know, wide-eyed, blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl ready Mm -hmm. to, you know, serve and work and um, the classroom um, in schools that um, had high need and uh, just came ready. Um, I was not naive to a city urban environment. I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and had uh, gone to a multi-ethnic urban church in Pittsburgh. And, you know, but I also had a lot of different experiences living in the suburbs, all, all sorts of things. And I, but I did feel a draw to go to the schools that a lot of teachers were like, wanting to stay away from. I wanted to go to classrooms that had higher need and Prince George's County was begging for teachers. And I, um, responded to the call. So I moved and, uh, first classroom was like, you know, three teachers had left before that because it was so chaotic, so difficult of a school that it was. And so that was my introduction. And, um, I, dove right in and it was really hard and I cried with the principal and I also pressed in and spent as much time and effort and energy uh, to uh, build those relationships with those kids and those parents and figure out what I could do uh, to uh, move things around. So yeah, it was quite a introduction to the DC area, Mm -hmm. uh, but it was exactly where I wanted to be in that season of my life. Yeah, it's really interesting um, how you mentioned that many times the places that from a physical and educational uh, environment that need the most help, 
that need the most assistance is a place that many people choose to run from because of the difficulty behind it, because of uh, maybe many times the lack of support that comes in that way. But yet, even in the midst of difficulty, midst of hardness, God calls his followers into those scenarios and he empowers them to accomplish that, what he wants to accomplish to the gifts that he gives his, his children. And, and certainly God used you in that way, but he also used those experiences and those things that you saw to kind of catalyze something else. It's this outreach program that occurred that led to a daybreak, um, that nonprofit that I mentioned earlier on in the Lincoln Heights, DC area. Um, what was the catalytic moment, right? Well, this needs to happen. And then after you started doing it, what did, what did you see happen occur? Yeah. So I was uh, teaching and uh, going to McLean Bible Church, uh, the young adult ministry, and uh, we were getting ready for a short-term mission trip and a uh, pastor, also a police officer, um, was giving us an opportunity to gel as a team. And uh, so we partnered with Child Evangelism Fellowship to Mm -hmm. um, walk around the community, um, providing some resources for families to know about one of their Bible clubs. And so we walked around and there was a little girl um, that we talked to. And um, I don't even recall the exact conversation, but she distinctly said that she had never heard of the name of Jesus. And it struck me um, because I had grown up in a culture that felt like Jesus was just the air we breathed, like America, Jesus, you know, like we're Christian. And so, we all got back in the van at the end of it. And one of my friends said, we need to come back here. And so that was the catalytic moment where we uh, began to think about what does it mean that to spend some more time with these kids and pour into these families here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so as you began to do this, what sort of fruit did you see from uh, daybreak to watch how God used you to make a difference? Yeah. So we, um, quickly partnered with some community leaders that had just previously been prayer walking around their neighborhood, asking for God to send people to their neighborhood to serve and to be a part of helping this community. Mm -hmm. And so we um, began doing, you know, Saturday outreaches and kids would come and we would partner with uh, different people in the community, um, nonprofits or uh, other resident leaders to, um, provide these opportunities and quickly DC housing authority, uh, also came alongside of us and gave us, uh, access to one of their townhouses right in the community to provide an actual program. And, uh, so, I mean, quickly we saw God at work. We also saw money pouring in from 20 somethings saying, we want to support what you guys are doing. We want to, and I'm still teaching here. Um, but you know, I'm seeing this snowball and I'm starting to see, okay, I can't continue teaching here and doing all this because God's just opening up doors. And in many ways, I felt like I was a puppet and God was pulling the strings. Sure. It really honestly felt like that for me. Yeah. Now, you know, we opened up the show talking about, we're going to deal into some racial issues, talking about reconciliation. And, um, I think we all recognize intellectually that we might have some preconceived notions. And and certainly as we've done many shows on uh, Good News for the City about this discussion, we've had some of our listeners challenge us with what we might say were some some ideas and some thoughts that uh, we're wrestling with all of us. And and so for you, through your teaching and daybreak experiences, how did seeing some of this begin to shape your understanding, maybe preconceived nonetheless, understanding 
of, of some of the uh, racial issues and some of the reconciliation issues uh, that are out there that maybe were unknown or maybe you framed it in a way that was well-intentioned, but maybe not accurate. Yeah. I think I came into uh, work in ministry in a largely Black context with uh, just naivety. Um, Mm -hmm. And I um, didn't understand the layers and complexities of why we're where we're at today. Um, And so when I was addressing behavioral challenges or uh, needs that arose from poverty. I didn't always have the skill sets and the understanding and the equipping to really tackle and understand the root issues uh, that were at play. And mm-hmm. so uh, thankfully, Lawanda Harris from the house, um, she uh, saw my heart and she saw um, my naivety and she said, hey, let's start meeting. <laughs> let's start connecting. And she <laughs> just started to like pour into me understanding of like, okay, here is some of the history. Here are some of the dynamics. And then we pulled our staffs together and we started talking because we were a multi-ethnic staff and they were largely a black staff. And so Mm -hmm. we started having some of these race conversations. Um, and really we just saw a lot of the, um, we began to see, but the reality was that, we were still largely blind, blind yeah. to a lot of what was going on. Well, I love what you're mentioning here, that the humility it takes on all of our part to recognize we may not know what we think we know. Mm-hmm. Um, and the willingness to sit and to learn and to listen and really listen, not listen with the intent to respond, but actually listen from the intent to learn uh, from other people's experiences. And certainly um, our example of humility for us as believers is Jesus Christ, Philippians chapter two, says he humbled himself. There's no greater sense of humility than the creator of the universe taking upon human flesh, his very creation. And, and I think, you know, as I've uh, just read a little bit about your story, certainly quickly in our time together, um, we can't separate this from our identity in Christ. And so before we go any further, how does our identity in Christ inform and help us in our efforts in racial reconciliation, in trying to step into some of these difficult, challenging, but very important conversations. Yeah. Yeah. I think the identity piece is quite a um, important part of this journey. And that is that we are, we have an identity in Christ and we also have um, our, our, we have a makeup that has labels that Mm -hmm. we have to process through and how they fit into the world around us. And so one of the things that kind of grounds me is the, the, the rootedness of that. I am an image bearer of Christ. Um, I am not first and foremost white. And I yes, think sometimes yes. we react to these conversations. Um, it, it's like a, I, it's like an affront. Like when we're like, when white people are challenged in the racial identity that is at play in our society, there is a reaction out of our white identity. And I can, I can, I can rest. I can not be so defensive because I have um, understood I've become, I've done some work to really understand that first and foremost, I am an image bearer of Christ and I am loved. I am valued. I am gifted by God to do good works, to glorify him. I am not first and foremost white. 
However, I have grown up in a culture that has shaped me and informed me and has given me various various accesses to privileges. And, you know, as a woman, I've experienced a little bit what it's like to not have some privilege. So Mm -hmm. I've had some different ways of seeing how like certain elements of my identity, my frames, my lenses have shaped me and that I need to understand those as I interact with others that have different life experiences and have been shaped in different ways by our culture. Yeah. And you know, that it's is it, such, Brian, could ahead, I just jump in, buddy? Uh, it's just interesting to hear you say that, Julia, because Brian and I, I don't know how many, I can't tell you how many shows, I don't remember how many shows we've done on racial reconciliation and race relations and all of those kind of things and how I got my comeuppance. You know, I thought I was pretty uh, cool and understanding. and very, I mean, I'd heard Tony Evans, for example, we'd have him into the DC area and he'd say, you're not a white Christian. You're a Christian who happens to be white. You know, and I mean, just what you said. And so that's super helpful to hear you say that again. Thank you. I, I know it's going to help our listeners to say hear that as well. Thank you, Brian. Thanks. Buddy. Yeah, no. Yeah. And not just fundamental for this conversation, fundamental for every conversation. If we yes, have our identity in yes. the wrong place, if, yes. if my identity is pastor, I got a problem, right? If, if our identity is our job, if our identity is our family, we will always run into a challenge. And most obvious in the conversation today, we're talking about if our identity first starts with the color of our skin yes. uh, instead yes. of the fact that we're image bearers of Jesus Christ. Now, um, you made the move uh, and you kind of went from one place where there's some challenges in watching Metro area to anybody who's been paying any attention whatsoever over the last couple of years, recognizes that there's a lot of changes and challenges happening in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And sort of as you've made that move from the Washington metro area, um, how have your understanding of what's been going on with race, ethnicity, and culture grown? And as God has called you in to be involved, uh, what have you seen happen? Yeah, I, I think that uh, when I left in 2009 is when I left Daybreak, mm-hmm. um, I still think a, a lot of my understanding of my own personal racial identity and the whole thing that's going on mm-hmm. <laughs> in our society was still very unevolved. Um, and I'd say when we moved here, um, I had three young children and I kind of just like, clo- my world got small for a while. Um, and then in, um, I think it was 2015, uh, or 2016, Philando Castile. Uh, that was the shooting. Uh, that was the killing that really um, made me. Uh, I was always caring, but I kind of think after daybreak, I I I was so emotionally, spiritually, physically exhausted by all of the brokenness around me that I kind of, in some ways, shut down a little mm-hmm. bit, to be honest, and kind of moved away from it. And the, that shooting, um, really just was like, "Mm, I can't do that anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. and at the same time, be the bridge was, um, a ministry started by Latasha Morrison, um, was really starting to emerge on Facebook and social media. And a lot of training opportunities came there. And I began to just dig into listening and reading and learning and feeling really disoriented and really uncomfortable with the realities of what I was hearing our, um, our friends and our, you know, people of color sharing about their Mm -hmm. life journey. Yeah. 
So I know you've probably had pivotal moments that have sort of ignited your passion and furthered your understanding. But if we have time, we may get back to that. But I really just kind of moment like there are people that, that I run into that I'm sure that you're running into as well um, that are at a place um, that maybe is not able to be described really, really well mm-hmm. in their journey in this. What advice would you give to someone who um, is uncomfortable for one reason or another? talking about race or, for example, talking about, you know, difficult discussions or sensitive topics. I mean, uh, race has been a struggle in our country for centuries, difficult to talk about. Um, And let's just say during this COVID series or COVID environment or um, season that we're in is what I meant to say. Certainly race hasn't got easier to talk about. And then we add on a whole bunch of other things. Uh, how would you guide them uh, in in having them t- begin to talk about things that need to be talked about? Yeah. Um, well, I, what I have found is that most of us ask the, the their first question is, what should I do? What can I do about mm. this? Um, they want to do something to fix it. Um, and I have found that the first question we should ask is, how well do we see? Um, mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is like, have we, are we willing to posture ourselves uh, with humility, to be a learner and a listener, not just in the context of our own like comfort zone of people, mm-hmm. but actually listen to a variety of voices of color, um, whether you agree with them at first or not is not the what's important. What I think is important is to be gaining understanding from a more wide point of view as to the lived experience of black and brown people in America. And so I think I encourage people to find a place, be the bridge is one place um, Mm -hmm. to begin to gain resources, to understand and listen and be a learner and be willing to ask questions that they're afraid of getting shut down with. But I am personally, my ministry is really to create some of those safe spaces to have those conversations, not shame people through their process, Mm -hmm. but also to challenge them in Mm -hmm. their learning and understanding to help them move from blindness to sight. And I love that. And in sort of our last minute or so here, for some people are like, all right, you said, go find some resources to help me see what sort of resources have helped you see that maybe they should go and look for. Yeah. Uh, so Be the Bridge was the first place and they have created a ton of resources. Some focus more on uh, multi-ethnic groups meeting together, some more on uh, Jamar Tisby. Uh, he's got a book called Color of Compromise, which history for me is really important. It has helped to shape why I see you know, I can see now the thread of why we're where we're at today through history. Mm-hmm. Um, Daniel Hill wrote a book called White Awake, which is just a fascinating book on uh, racial identity development through the lens. He's a pastor in Chicago. And that really helped me to kind of have the imagery of that blindness to sight and kind of that disorientation to more of a settled place of understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are a few. There's tons. Um, I'm writing on a blog now, just my own journey to try to be a little bit more like vulnerable. So other people mm-hmm. can feel safe being vulnerable. And what, um, what, give us that blog address as Dennis closes us out. What, how yeah, can we send people? Yeah. It's, uh, Julia Vanderwerf, uh, dot I believe. There you go. Yeah. That's what it says on my <laughs> paper. Is that what yeah, it says I think I got it. <laughs> I'll mention that one again. 
<laughs> well, Julia, God bless you, man. Thank you so much for being with us. Again, um, Brian and I do forgive you for the Penn State Nittany Lions, and we are Ohio State Buckeyes. I mean, uh, maybe, record, you need to, maybe you need to forgive us, man. Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> to take a little bit farther, she did mention she lived in Pittsburgh, and I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. So if she's a oh, Pittsburgh man. fan, it oh, can get really oh, ugly. But it shows you that Jesus can do so many things. Reconciliation, reconciliation. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's fantastic. Well, f- hey, thank you both. God bless you all. Um, let, me, let me say that one more time. Uh, you can go to Julia's newsletter. It's Julia Vanderwerf. Dot, uh, excuse me, Julia Vanderwerf dot substack dot com. Um, you can go to that. Hey, you can also listen to this again at goodnewsforthecity.com, goodnewsforthecity.com and get all of this information. Um, uh, you can also go to oneheartdc.org and you can, if you need to, you can call me um, at the radio station 703-807-2266. Folks, Thank you all. Thank you for joining us today. We'll see you again next week. And remember, it's the gospel that makes a way. It's the gospel, the gospel that makes a way. Thank you for joining us and listening to Good News for the City, a gospel partnership between WAVA and One Heart DC. This is a partnership, movement which celebrates and seeks to accelerate the move of the gospel into the Washington, D.C. metro area. It is our prayer that through this radio broadcast ministry of good news for the city, we will see transformed lives and communities and more and more people responding to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to help bring unity to Bible-believing people and churches in order to multiply our impact in our city, and we would love for you to join us. You can learn more at goodnewsforthecity.com. That's goodnewsforthecity.com. Or you can go to wava.com keyword good news. Or you can call us at 703-807-2266. 703-807-2266. And remember, it's the gospel that makes a way.